Welcome back to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast with Jeff Lyle. Traditions enslave us, trends deceive us, but the truth of God's word never ceases to transform us. Join us now for another stretch of the soul as Jeff calls us to think hard on what we say we believe and to know more deeply why we believe it. Here's today's word for all the Mavericks and the Misfits. Well, it's that time of year where, uh, for a lot of people, there are Christmas decorations going up, even though at the time of this recording, Thanksgiving has not even arrived yet. My wife is one of those who would decorate for Christmas all year round. I am one of those who would like to decorate one week before Christmas and remove the decorations one week after Christmas. Not because I'm a Scrooge, but because I crave order. I love order and Christmas decorations mess up my order in my house. In all actuality, I've gotten better over the years as Amy has kind of uh, broken me in. And I, I love that holiday season. And I hope that uh, however you celebrate, and a lot of people that are believers and followers of Jesus choose not to celebrate Christmas, that's fine. Doesn't bother me a bit. I hope it doesn't bother you that I do celebrate it. If it does bother you, then you're probably needing to grow in some area because the Bible doesn't say whether we should or we shouldn't. And if you are at the point of irritability because Christians celebrate around December 25th, the birth of the Savior, then go deeper into your prayer closet and let people go free and you just be joyfully non-participant in the Christmas season while we are doing the same thing as under the Lord. It's a Romans 14, 15 issue, which says the one that refrains should refrain as unto the Lord. The one who participates should participate as under the Lord. And you can apply that teaching to even stuff like celebrating Christmas. So even the Christmas season tends to divide Christians. Do we need any help? Do we need any help in the body of Christ at continuing to be divided? I don't think that we do. I think that we take care of that pretty much on our own. And uh, I think that one of the great joys of glory will be that we um, no longer fight. Amen. Can I get an amen out there? All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning back into Mavericks and Misfits. And if you're a first-time listener, we uh, just want to say welcome aboard. Uh, nothing super fancy here, just a group of people that um, are searching for truth, not only doctrinally, but we're also searching out how do we live this faith in a way that is authentic and true as before the Lord and not give in to the pressure of conforming biblical Christianity to a thousand different measures and standards that people put forth from all sorts of areas. And uh, that's my job. That's my goal. I like bringing truth to people. And if you are a regular listener to Mavericks and Misfits, that means by this point, you have uh, probably kind of you know, migrated over to that side too. You're, you're not interested in uh, the silly stuff and the traditional stuff that doesn't have any rootings in biblical um, thought. I got an email the other day from a guy that I knew years and years ago. I won't mention his name, but he's probably listening today. And if you are, you know who you are. Um, and he came out of the same background I did with independent fundamentalist Baptist uh, upbringings. And uh, here he is probably in his 30s. He might be 40. I don't think so yet. I think he's probably early to mid 30s. And um, he, he just emailed me and said, hey, man, I've hit that place where I'm recognizing a lot of the stuff that we were uh, taught and in some cases force fed doesn't match up with scripture. And I am pursuing a relationship with Jesus that is deeper according to the truth of God's word. And um, we're exploring and even to the point where he walked away from um, a history 
of successful ministry, if you want to use that word successful, uh, ministry that God blessed and God used. And that's the thing I, I want everybody to remember. Um, if God didn't use us in our imperfection, then nobody could be used of God. So as you are migrating along your journey in knowing the Lord and serving the Lord and communicating his heart and his truth to people, please don't agonize over past seasons, years, maybe even decades where you didn't quite have it right. Um, it doesn't mean that everything you did during those seasons were fruitless and worthless. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, because God takes into consideration where we are when he dispatches us and uh, he grows us as we um, release what, what he's given us. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I used to preach some stuff now that I would never preach, but it doesn't mean that God wasn't using my ministry back then. Um, if I went back and started preaching that same stuff, he wouldn't use me because I would be violating what I know to be true. But at the time, God uses us even in our sincere ignorance and he uh, ministers to other people through us. So I was really encouraged by that guy's email and um, just love to see the fact that some people are still willing to lay it all down. You know, occasionally the Lord will look at you and he'll say, my child, it's time for you to lay it all down again. I'll give you back what I want you to keep, but I'll move out of your possession that which is no longer profitable or no longer necessary or that which I really had never blessed. And those are frightening times because it's a fresh level of surrender. And for a lot of us, especially those who are in vocational ministry, when God tells us to lay down our ministries, um, it can provoke something in you. You'll find out if you're an orphan at that moment. Because will you trust the Father who's telling you to lay down something that you've held in your hands for so long? And blessings to my brother who just laid it all down and is waiting on the Lord for his next assignment. I love that. He's in the marketplace now, so he is not in vocational ministry at this moment. He's still called. He is still surrendered. He's still waiting on marching orders. But he's saying, hey, look, uh, I'm going to wait on clear instructions from the Lord. And until then, I'm going to feed my family, take care of business. And he's back in the marketplace. So kudos, brother. I appreciate you. You've encouraged me. And I hope that those that are listening today will be encouraged just by that little bit of your testimony I shared. Um, I'm going to read you a couple of verses from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, I've been in the Old Testament again. I've been reading the book of Proverbs. I'll probably do a couple of podcasts from the Proverbs. But um, I was just, as actually this morning, was in the book of Deuteronomy and was just reading. I think I read like maybe the first nine chapters. And chapter number six really stuck out to me. And um, let's just see where the Lord goes with this. I want to talk to you about being out but not in. Just remember that phrase, out but not in. And I think you will understand a little bit more what I'm talking about. So I'm going to exhort you today. I'm going to encourage you today. I'm going to challenge you today. My goal is to motivate you not to be settled with being out of Egypt if you're not in the promised land. That's where that phrase is going to have application. And so let me just read the verses and then we'll talk about it. God is, God is saying um, through Moses to the children of Israel, lots of stuff in chapter number six. And I'm down in verse 21. And this is what it reads. It says, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and Yahweh brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and Yahweh showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household right before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. Now, 
I don't have time to recount all the biblical history there and talking about the Abrahamic covenant and the promise of the land to the Jews, the descendant of Abraham. What you've got to realize is in Deuteronomy, Moses is kind of giving them final instructions before the children of Israel will pass over into the promised land. If you remember, uh, Moses' own testimony was that he angered the Lord and the Lord would not allow him to lead the people across the Jordan into the promised land. That privilege was given to Joshua. And so Moses is preparing the people to go over into the promised land without him. Moses is going to die on the, the wilderness side of the Jordan and um, the people are going to go over into the promised land. So he's given them some kind of final instructions. That's the book of Deuteronomy. If you don't know this, the Deuteronomy was well, kind of a strange word, but it's literally, it's a, it, it's from Deuteros and Nomos. Deuteronomy, it means second. Deuteros means second. And Nomos means law, the second giving of the law. And so he is saying to the people, let me give you again what I've already given you. You're about to go into the land, but here's, here's what he does. He says, Hey, do you guys know that we were, we were slaves, you know, 40 years ago, uh, we were slaves and those that were older have all died off and you that were young are now adults and you're about to go into the promised land. But I want to remind you of where you were brought from. Um, you were, your parents were, your grandparents were, your great grandparents, your great, great grandparents you were all slaves. You were all the property of Egypt and Pharaoh. You lived under the whip. You had no freedom. You had no choices. You were treated cruelly. You were worked to the bone. Pharaoh had no regard for our people, no regard for our God, no regard for our freedom, no regard for our welfare or well-being. We were, in fact, slaves, generational slaves. But God heard our cries, the cries of a generation, more than one generation. And when the time came that God decided to move, he moved swiftly. He moved strongly. He brought us up out of the land of Egypt with what Moses called a mighty hand. And you'll remember the 10 plagues that when Pharaoh would not let the people go, God started plaguing the Egyptians and they got more and more severe up to the point of the death of the firstborn of all the Egyptian households. And that was when Pharaoh finally relented and let the people go. But God had like worked incredible signs and wonders through Moses and afflicted the Egyptian uh, taskmasters, Pharaoh's house and all the Egyptians because um, they would not listen to Yahweh, uh, the God who is above all of their false Egyptian gods. And so Moses is reminding the people, hey, God delivered us. God set us free. God ransomed us. God broke the chains off of us. He delivered us from the shackles and the crack of the whip. We were prisoners who had no power and God came in and redeemed us. Now, of course, that is a picture of salvation. All of us, no matter if you were saved at four years old or 54 years old, we, we were all slaves to the devil happy day. That's great news, right? Well, it can be, especially if you're regarding it as past tense, because that's what you were. That's not what you are. But we were prisoners of our own depravity. We were sinners by choice. We were sinners by birth. We were impossibly enslaved to our, 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 our sin, our sinful appetites, our desires. We got used to living in a spiritual Egypt. We learned how to function there. We learned how to wake up and go to sleep there, go to school there, go to work there. It was just what we were. We were slaves. We had no freedom, not spiritually speaking. 
And, you know, so deep was our slavery that a lot of us didn't even realize we were slaves because that's all we had ever been. But when God in his sovereign grace began to work in our lives and he sent the gospel and in fact sent Jesus to come and redeem us. So that means that the work that Jesus did on the cross 2000 years ago, he atoned for our sin. It not only broke the penalty of sin, but it broke the power of sin. And so as former slaves, we were liberated. We got set free. Hallelujah. We got redeemed. We got reborn. We got regenerated. We got resurrected. All those beautiful R words that indicate that we got a brand new life through the power of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And so all of a sudden, we're no longer slaves. We're out of Egypt. Hallelujah. You think about going now back to the time of Moses. Moses had been leading these people out of Egypt, but what should have taken a little bit over a month ended up taking 40 years because the people were complainers. The people were murmurers. The people were filled with unbelief. They doubted the God who had redeemed them. They, they believed in him enough to get out of Egypt, but they didn't trust him enough to get into the promised land. And so now here they were 40 years later as a people and all of the unbelieving adults, 20 years old and upward who doubted God would get them into the land. They, they had all died over those 40 years. And so now everybody that was about to cross over into the land was no older than 20 years old when the original doubt and disbelief against God came. You remember that when they went in to spy out the land and they saw that the land was filled with giants and fortified cities and walls and warriors. And they came back and they said, God can't give us this. You know, we're going to die out here in the desert. And God said, hmm. That's not an attitude I can bless because you doubted me. I am going to let you die in the desert. And all of you that are 20 years old and upward, except for Joshua and Caleb, you're all going to die in the wilderness. And you that are 20 years old and younger, you have a chance to believe me over the next 40 years, but I will take my people into the promised land. That's a word for some people. You know, God can't bless your constant doubt and disbelief. You know, you can get out of Egypt by the powerful, saving, redeeming work of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean you're living in the place of promise. It doesn't mean that you have come in. You've gotten out, but you haven't come in yet. And that's what Moses said in verse number 23 of, excuse me, Deuteronomy 6. He said, God brought us out from Egypt so that he might bring us in to the promised land. He brought you out to bring you in. I'm going to say it again two times. He brought you out to bring you in. He brought you out to bring you in. And too many people are living out of Egypt, but not in the land of God's destiny and promise. And what do we call that area? Well, we call it the same thing it was called in the Pentateuch. We call it the wilderness. The wilderness describes the area and the time period where you're no longer a slave in Egypt, but you're no longer in a, you're not, you're not yet an established son in the land that God has appointed for you. Some of you just really need to kind of clamp down on this and get it in your, get, get it in your, your gut that God did not send Jesus merely to rescue you from your sin so that you can go to heaven when your physical life on earth is over. Now, it's a wonderful part of the, the gift of salvation that you go to heaven when you die. You go to be with the Lord. That's beautiful. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. 
But for so long in the American church, that's been the entirety of the gospel message. Believe on Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die. And you know, I kind of, I press against this regularly on this podcast. It's like, that's not what the Bible actually teaches. That the Bible doesn't actually teach that salvation is about transportation, meaning you go to heaven, you get transported to heaven when you die. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the gospel, the goal of the gospel is not transportation, but transformation, meaning you become more like Jesus while you're still alive here on earth. And yes, at the end of that, you, you enter into glory. But because we have misrepresented the message of the scriptural gospel, and we've made it more about going to heaven when you die, a lot of people are stuck in a wilderness while they live. And listen, this isn't meant to be accusatory at all, because again, I don't, I don't really know who all is listening, but I guarantee you, some of you that are listening, you're no longer in Egypt. Hallelujah. That's great news. You've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been set free by the blood of the lamb. You've repented of your sin and placed your 100% confidence in what Jesus has done in order to atone for your sin. And you have no doubts at all that the penalty of your sin has been removed because Christ is Lord of your life. And that's awesome. And I'm so glad to share in that inheritance with you. I'm like genuinely glad. But a lot of people just stopped right there. It's like, whoo, what a relief. I am going to go to heaven when I die. Man, that's good news. Now let me grind out my next 70 years on earth. Let me just do what I can for God. Let me just try to be moral. Let me be kind. Let me, let me have integrity. Let me work really hard. And let me just try to make a good American wage. And man, maybe if I work really, really hard, I'll have enough money in my retirement portfolio and I'll, man, I'd like to enjoy my last 10 to 15 years without having to work. And that's it. That's awesome. That's a great way to live. And, and then hallelujah, cherry on top. I go to heaven when I die. And I just want to bust into that facade and tell you that is not God's will for your life. Now there may be components of what I just said there that are part of, you know, what you experience while you're living your life of faith, but God's goal for you is not to save you at age, whatever, and then to finally embrace you when you get to heaven. And that's when you start enjoying the Lord. No friend, if he saved you, if he brought you out of Egypt, it's to bring you into the promised land. And the promised land is not merely a metaphor for heaven. In spite of what all those hymns we used to sing trained us to believe the promised land is what Jesus, what, I give it to you in a better New Testament phrase, and we put it in the mouth of Jesus. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Do you remember that? John 10, 10. I have come that you might have life. That's salvation. He's talking spiritual life, eternal life. That means you come into a state of spiritual resurrection with Christ. He said, I came that you might experience that. But he also added this. And that you might have life more abundantly. The abundant life is the New Testament phraseology for what the promised land represented in the Old Testament, Canaan's land. So my question is this, what does the abundant life look like for you? What are you expecting of God? I believe it involves several things. I'll give you a couple. I believe that the abundant life involves peace, the harmony spiritual harmony within your soul, uh, 
that you are one with God and you're enjoying him. Like you're actually supposed to enjoy the Lord. He's actually supposed to be a delight to you. But in order for that to occur, for most of us, we have to be renewed in our mind. We have to be transformed in our thinking because we don't instinctually relate to God always in a way that is a delight. Most of us don't. Some of you do. Some of you who had really healthy parent-child relationships when you were growing up, you instinctually just gravitated toward this awesome God who is a father. But for anybody that had hangups, you know, to their mother or father, um, there is this reality that, um, well, you may not, you may not enjoy him the way that others instinctually do. And so we got to get to this place where we realize God doesn't want us just to, you know, grind it out, do our duty, show up and appease him, so to speak. Um, no, God wants us to enjoy him, to delight in the Lord. And that brings peace to our hearts when we realize like he's not, he's not grading us in the sense of like trying to squeeze something out of us. Like he, he just wants to do life with us. And too many of us are trying to do life for him, but not with him. So that peace is important. You know, that's part of the abundant life that you, you could actually live in a state of ongoing spiritual harmony with the Lord. And, and the reason is that is because your identity is in him. So that's another part of the abundant life. You know who you are in him. And I'm, I'm telling you, most people don't. This is not accusation. This is meant to get you thinking about your own life. Do you know who you are in him? Who you are is far more than what you're doing or what you're doing for him. Who are you, son? Who are you, daughter? And what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to relate to God as a son? Not, not a servant primarily, but a son. Sure, you, you serve in the family business, the gospel, the great commission, the kingdom. But what does it mean to, to be his son? What does it mean to be his daughter, beloved and cherished and treasured and like in, in the appropriate way, adored as a, as, a, as a parent adores a child? Because that's actually how he feels about you. And yes, that doesn't remove the fact that he's holy God, thrice holy God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I'm not, I'm not diminishing his, his holiness. That, that they sh those things shouldn't be opposed to one another. His holiness in himself and his delight in you should not be pitted against each other. Why? Because the grace that he offers through the blood of Jesus has removed anything in your standing that might offend his holiness. So he can delight in you. And you can delight in him. So it's got your peace. It's got your identity. It's got your purpose. You know, I think this is a big one, especially for guys and ladies. I'm not excluding you at all on this, but guys, I, I just need to, I want to, I want to beckon you find your purpose in the Lord and from the Lord. And I'm going to shot block that thought that just rose up in a hundred of you that said, oh, I got to go be a missionary then, or I got to be a preacher, or I got to be some kind of ministry guy or ministry girl. No, no, no. That's not what I said at all. I said, find your purpose in him and then you do it for him. And I, I get it. We do it with him, but your purpose, whether you are a stay at home mom, whether you are a banker, whether you're an athlete, you might be in ministry. You could be somebody who's working in a clerical field or a medical field. It doesn't really, really matter because every single vocation or season in life that you can find yourself in can be done with him and for him. 
Colossians 3.23 tells us, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man, and the Lord will reward you. And so you, you get to do, you don't have to be, you know, this missionary or vocational minister. Like we, we just, we, we constantly distinguish the secular and the sacred. And the, the beauty of it is that which is secular can become sacred if your motivation is to do what you do as unto the Lord. And the promised land is when like you, you step into that place of destiny. That's a word that a lot of Christians shy away from because it's got new age connotations. But if you read your Bible, you're going to find theological terms like predestined. Well, it's the same root word, destiny and predestined. It just simply means God has something for you that he's had before you were you. You look at the call of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter number one, and this is what God said to a person. God said, before I formed you, I knew you and I ordained that you would be. And then he tells Jeremiah what Jeremiah would be, which was Jeremiah would be a prophet. But the, the whole concept is that that's a template. That's how God operates before he made you physically. He pre knew you. He predestined you unto a purpose. Like your destiny existed before you physically did. And man, that's so motivating to me that God, and can I say it this way? It may not be perfectly precise, but let me just say it this way. There was once an amazing idea in the heart of God, a desire, a vision a goal, something God wanted. And he said, I like that. I want that. I'm going to give expression to that. And he said, I'm going to take this desire of mine and I'm going to wrap a person around it. And that person was you. Now, I can't tell you what that desire from the father is, but I can tell you that what he said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah one is true of you before I formed you, I knew you. So I'm going to say it to you this way. Like we're sitting across a coffee table talking to each other. Hey friend, before God ever made you physically in your mother's womb, he knew you. You were, you're sourced in his infinite heart. You are the expression of a divine desire that God wanted to release on planet earth. So that beautiful, perfect desire that came from his immeasurable heart, he wrapped human DNA around it and planted it in your, in your mother's womb. And that's you. That is true, man. That's big picture stuff. And so many people just, because it's, it is a little bit overwhelming to think about, but you better think about it because it's what gives your life meaning. It's what's so uh, vital to you living in the promised land. Like don't just come out of Egypt without getting into the land of your destiny. You know, salvation is the miracle of a moment. But living in the promised land is a journey. It's a journey to get there. And it's a journey once you are there, because the promised land is not so much as an event as it is a context for where you live. And what happens in the context of your promised land, your place of inheritance, your place of destiny, 
what happens there goes on for years and there's so much liberty and freedom for how you can move in this place of your destiny. But you've got to want it. And as I wrap up, let me just tell you this. You've, um, you've been shaped and formed by a very, very impatient uh, context for living. Um, the whole world you've grown up in, I'm 52. And so at the time of this recording, I'm 52. And the whole time I've been alive, I've lived a very impatient, in a very impatient world. Everything around us is hurried. Everything around us demands a shortcut. Everything in our lifetime is meant to speed things up. And so you may not even be aware of it, but that's in you. There is a place within the human heart that is not overly encouraged when we have to wait or we have to engage in a process or we have to uh, abide in God's timeline. Why? Because we are conditioned for instant delivery. Like press a button and get it to me now. And here's the thing I'm going to tell you, and this may be a hard word for some of you, but it's going to ignite something in others of you to step into the promised land, to get in, he brought you out to bring you in. Getting out, miracle of a moment. Jesus did it all. You believe, done. Hallelujah, glory to God. But getting in, oh man, that so requires your cooperation, your participation, your hunger, your industriousness. Oh yeah, it's all by grace and it's oiled by the Holy Spirit. But don't think for a second that you're going to flippantly, casually, or accidentally inherit the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. <laughs> you won't. But if you are, if you are, if you got your mind made up, if you are ravenously hungry, if you are saying, I, it's not enough to be out of Egypt, I've got to step into the destiny. And if you're willing to trust in God's process, again, it's not a singular event. There's not a moment where you say, okay, I am now in the promised land and I have accomplished it all. No, you do cross over into the promised land. You do come to this place where you hit this, this moment in life. It can happen at various ages. Some people hit it early. Some people get it in their 20s. Some people 30s. Some, I, I, I would have to say that I didn't fully step into um, my promised land, the fullness of it, until I was in my late 30s, early 40s. And I already told you I'm 52 now. So I've been saved for almost 30 years and less than half of that have I been in the promised land. That, that's my experience. Now, it doesn't mean, you're, doesn't mean you're stuck in that kind of paradigm. You can go quicker. It might take you longer. But here's the thing. I was always pressing into it. There was not a single time in my Christian experience since I got saved in 1994 that I wasn't pressing in to step into the fullness of my inheritance. I'm still pressing into it. And so the, the beauty of it is this, it's not a one-time experience to come in, getting out one-time experience, getting in, it's a lifetime. And if you're conditioned to having that happen yesterday, or why hasn't it happened now, or it's going to take too long, or it's going to require too much, you'll never step into it. You will be in the wilderness. You'll be in the desert. You won't be in Egypt. That's good news, but you won't be in the promised land. That's bad news. 
But if you will listen to the Lord and trust the Lord and obey and, and stop being so impatient, look, I promise you, you got to get delivered of impatience. You got to get delivered of presumption. You got to get delivered of this. Uh, I want it now. How come it hasn't happened? I don't want to die to myself. I don't want to carry my cross daily. I don't want to be slowed down. I don't want to hit any speed bumps. I don't want to be rerouted. I don't want to be delayed. Oh, guess what? You're not in charge, so you don't get to determine that. What you get to determine is if you're willing to cooperate with God's process another day, which means today, and then you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to do the same thing. And then in three weeks, you're still going to be doing it. And in six months, you're still going to be doing it. And in a year, you're still going to be doing it. Oh, you say, well, Jeff, well, what if I'm not in by a year? Oh, we're just going to keep on doing it. Why? Because God is working what God works as he brings you into the thing for which he formed you. And so there's never a moment where we, we get to resign, where we get to retire, where we get to quit. There will come a moment where you're like, okay, I'm in. I've stepped into it. The context now is I'm walking out my destiny. But then the deeper you walk into the promised land, the bigger it becomes. The more you realize, oh my goodness, there's so much here that he has promised. There's so much here that he has formed me for. And there's so much here to enjoy with him. So friends, be hungry, okay? Don't just stay hungry, stay thirsty, my friends. You've got to continue to step towards all that he has for you. And yes, it should feel like at times a death. It should feel like agonizing. Why? Because he's shedding the skin of your flesh in the wilderness. He's, he's pulling the dead cells off of you because they have no place in your inheritance. So he's making you more like Jesus who waited 30 years for the father's timing. And then when the fullness of time came for the next three years and the final three years of Jesus's earthly life before the crucifixion, he did exactly what the father had told him. But 30 years were in preparation. If Jesus can wait, you can wait because Jesus lives in you. Those are my thoughts today on Mavericks and Misfits. Thanks for tuning in for all of you that, um, Listen regularly. Can you take, uh, I don't know, three minutes of your time and give us a rating and a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to this. It enlarges our digital footprint. It allows us to reach more people. As always, you can also email me with uh, comments, questions, or suggestions for topics to do on the podcast. Email me at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. I don't always get to answer all the emails, but please, if you've got something you want to suggest, let's trust the Lord. You write it, I'll read it, and we'll pray and see what happens. But um, do help us get the word out. And if you want more uh, teaching, go to transformingtruth.org. Or if you want to, you can uh, access us on YouTube. Uh, that's where full-length sermons are and 30-minute truth shots, their video. And I've got a face made for radio, by the way. A guy told me that the other day at, at Caneo Ministry Training Center where I teach on Thursdays. He said, man, you, you're, you're perfect for radio. And I just sat there for a second. I thought, you know, I do TV too. And he's like, yeah, you're perfect for radio. <laughs> and, you know, you got to own it. Some people have the face for TV and some people have the voice for radio. And I think if, if people are listening on audio, I guess we should say it, not radio anymore. But, um, you know, we, we, we just want to make sure that all media streams are covered. So if you like video, check us out on the Transforming Truth app, transformingtruth.org or our Transforming Truth YouTube channel. And if you're content with audio, well, you're in the right place, Mavericks and Misfits. And we're blessed to be able to bring you this hosting show. And I hope you'll continue to tune in. We'll talk to you next week. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? 
his life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.